A dive bar in the Pacific Northwest may hold more than just the best fish and chips you'll ever eat. And then we take a look at the story of a man who wanted to be a superhero, but instead took the route of becoming a supervillain. When the governments of the world colluded to steal his technology, he decided the only way to fight back was to make people lose at Family Feud. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. Hope you guys are having a lot of fun this holiday season. First off, let's give a shout out to our newest Patreon supporter, Alex. Everyone give a round of applause to Alex. He's coming in on his brand new Segway scooter. Are those still even being manufactured? Are they new? He's doing wheelies and stuff. Wee! Alex, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, I totally understand that. Just help spread the word about the show. That also really, really helps out a lot. Alex, as much as I'm tempted for everyone to climb on top of your back and you just segue us out to our first story, I'm going to toss you the keys to the Jason Jalopy. You can drive us on out to Bellingham, Washington. We've been here recently. We covered the Steam Stack. So I know you know how to get there, Alex. Driving down the road here. This story was actually recommended to me by Brady Schmidt. He really loved the Steam Stack story. He's like, oh yeah, brought back childhood memories of Bellingham, Washington. Do-do-do. He's the smelling of burned bodies like I was the one who put the body in there. If you guys didn't listen to that episode, I'll put it in the show notes. It's a pretty cool mystery. But Brady sent me this story about the same town up there. So Alex drives us up to the Waterfront Tavern. It's a little dive bar. That surprisingly got four out of five stars. Longtime listeners of the show know I love reading bad reviews. So when Brady sent me over this story about this bar, I was like, oh, dude, I bet you the reviews are super disgusting. No, no, I'm disappointed to to tell all you guys it actually has really good service and food. Apparently, it's the best fish and chips in town. People go, oh, man, you're like, Jason, is this just become a food review podcast? I wish. But... Fish and chips, if you ever find yourself there, go check out the fish and chips. But as we walk into this tavern, we see a little booth. We sit down, we grab the menus. We're not just here for the fish and chips that I've now mentioned 15 times. The reason why the Waterfront Tavern is known, other than their delicious fish and chips, is this. The door swings open. I imagine it's like an old saloon door. I'm sure it's a modern door, but... And a shadowy figure walks in. We all kind of look over at him. He takes a seat. Bartender goes, hey, what's up, Ted? And the, the guy just kind of nods. And we're like, oh, okay. The door opens again. Another guy walks in. And the bartender's like, hey, I haven't seen you around in a long time. I didn't write your name down in my notes. But I know what you're known for. Why don't I get you a drink and you can strangle it? <laughs> what? What does that even mean? How do you strangle a drink? Door opens again. Another guy walks in. The bartender goes, hmm. John, yeah, John, I remember you. John Muhammad, come over here and sit down and have a drink. He sits down next to the guy strangling his drink. After a couple of minutes, we start to recognize these guys. Ted is not just any Ted. It's Ted Bundy, serial killer. And then the guy who was strangling his drink, that I wrote down on my notes, but you wouldn't have known the name anyways. I didn't know it. He was one of the hillside stranglers. And then John Muhammad, if you are... A boomer, like myself, a proud boomer, you should all know the name John Muhammad. He was one of the 
Beltway Snipers. That was an amazing true crime story. I'd love to cover it. I feel like it's pretty well known. And I like to cover more obscure stuff. But the Beltway Sniper story, I remember watching on the news and it was like this mass shooting. It was a spree killing, actually, is what it is, where you kill a lot of people over a short period of time. It's different than a serial killing or a mass shooting. And nobody knew who was doing it. It was all over the Washington, D.C. area, the Beltway. And it went to other parts in eastern states. I, I honestly probably should do a little bit of a segment on it real quick. Beltway Sniper, again, I'm going off memory. I don't. It happened in the early 2000s. I know one of the conspiracies was was that he was shooting a bunch of people at random. He shot a 12-year-old boy in the stomach at an elementary school. Like, it was truly random. But one of the targets that seemed to be kind of out of the way was a CIA, an analyst who was, like, grocery shopping. And there was always the conspiracy theory out there that she was the real target. That everything else was just a cover to take her out. I, I, I remember, because, you know, you study true crime for so long and you follow all this stuff that they kind of built a profile of the killers. of like They didn't know if there was one or two or multiple. It turns out there was two of them. But I remember in the news when they caught the killers, there were two African-American dudes. Actually, one was like 16 years old. And talk about a plot twist. Everyone was like, what? Everyone figured it was a white dude. That was always the profile for this type of crime was a white dude. So huge plot twist. I remember, if I don't know if I was eating popcorn when I heard that news, but if I was, I dropped it and choked on it at the same time. Amazing plot twist. The weirdest thing, though, the weirdest detail to come out of the Beltway Sniper case, it was him and his a boy that there was always a rumor that they had some sort of relationship. I think he was 16 and John Muhammad was an adult. There's always a rumor about that. But the day before they got arrested, this goes into that whole MK Ultra thing, which I, I think is, we've talked about MK Ultra before. It did exist. I don't know if it goes to the level of the sex kittens that all the conspiracy theorists believe about now. You're like, Jason, don't just stop. Don't just say sex kittens. You have to explain that. Basically, that girls are bred, like Britney Spears and Katy Perry are sent to this program to turn into like sluts. I don't think the government's like, <laughs> what should we do with this million dollars today? Oh, let's turn Britney Spears into a slut. I don't believe in that, but you had this guy here for, what was it, a couple weeks? He was shooting, again, this is all off memory, I didn't really prep this, but he was, him and his partner were shooting people, they had a car, it was like a Datsun or something like that, with a hole cut in the trunk, and they would lay in the trunk and then just take shots, and after the, it was Chief, it was Officer Moose, uh, Chief Moose was the main cop who was after him. And he said, don't worry, guys, your kids are safe. Like, I know this is totally random. And then, like, two days later, he shot a 12-year-old in the stomach just to prove because the cops said that. It's a fascinating case. It's horrible. The kid survived. But the day before they got arrested, I did write this down. I did write this down. I didn't, pre- I didn't know how much I'd go into detail with this, but I did write down this quote. Police Chief Charles Moose made this comment the day before they got arrested in an interview. Quote, you have indicated that you want us to do and say certain things. You have asked us to say, quote, We have caught the sniper like a duck in a noose. We understand that hearing us say this is important to you. And Chief Moose told the media, Don't you, you we want you to repeat this as often as you can and don't change a word of it. <laughs> They're like, Well, normally we do that with quotes. We just rearrange words. He's like, I know, but don't do that with this one. Repeat it as often as you can. Don't change a word of it. Four hours later, it wasn't even the next day, I'm looking over at my notes here. Four hours later, they were arrested. And there's always been that theory that that was some sort of code that shut off their programming. Like, that code was a signal for this to all end. 
We have caught the sniper like a duck in a noose. You have asked us to say we have caught the sniper like a duck in a noose. Four hours later, after weeks long manhunt for these guys, and I think 12 people were killed. Again, I only took notes for the quote because I always thought that was fascinating. Weird story. But let's go back to this bar because John Muhammad is sitting in this bar right now. This bar is on Holly Street in Bellingham, Washington, and it has, let me go back to the narrative, it has a reputation for two things, delicious fish and chips, and murderers, serial killers, hung out there over the years. Now, it wasn't just one boom year for serial killers. It wasn't like 1967. They had a party there. They had a convention. No. Over the decades, I mean, we're talking all the way from Ted Bundy to John Muhammad, have been going here to drink. Now, most of the information, I want to say this too, I'm getting from an article written by Charlie LaDuff. He wrote it for the New York Times. So great article. Great work, Charlie. I'm giving you a thumbs up. This bar is known to either attract serial killers or because of its location. They say it's really the last stop before you head off into the wilderness of Canada or the headed towards the wilderness of Alaska. So it attracts a lot of freaks, right? <laughs> so the only people who live in the woods, right, are freaks. But yeah, they said Ted Bundy drank here. One of the Hillside Stranglers drank there. There's a couple other names that I didn't recognize and then the Beltway Sniper. And it was funny because the bartender goes, yeah, you know, you get a lot of unsavory types in here, but I hated, I hated the Beltway Sniper. He was terrible. I guess they said he was cheering on 9-11 and the guy's like, I had half a mind to take him outside and beat his head in. But then I'd go to jail. It's a short, that's the story. But I like it because it goes, and thank you for the recommendation, Brady. I like it because I've talked about this thing before, not this particular bar, but this theory before, that you can have holy places and peaceful places that attract holy and peaceful people. You don't have a lot of serial killers hanging around, you know, the base of Mount Shasta trying to get in Lemuria. You have places that attract good people, or when you're there, you feel the goodness envelop you. You feel like, wow, this is a holy spot could be a grove of trees it could be an ornately constructed cathedral but you can feel the spirit in you and you feel at peace and i've always said there should be an inverse of that if we have stars the opposite of it's a black hole i don't know don't 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 science that don't science that don't go over to scientists and say is the opposite of a star a black hole they're like it's not how it works but the opposite of a good place is a bad place the opposite of a place that fills you with, and I'm not even talking about holy in the religious sense. I'm talking about you go to that glen that's outside your city and you walk around and you feel recharged. So I'm not even talking about it being any particular religion. I'm talking about you feeling refreshed and good after you leave. If you have those places, you have to have the inverse to it. Now, we as good people aren't attracted to those places. So we may just pass by them the convenience store on the side of the road, the clearing in the middle of the woods. We'll see those things, and we may stop by to pick up some chips at the convenience store, not the grove of trees, but maybe we'll feel a little unsettled. It's sending us a weird message, if we go there at all. But to people who are driving down the road who are already intent on being evil, who already have that side in them birthed and unleashed, they're attracted to that convenience store. They're attracted to that bar. Obviously, the New York Times wasn't putting a metaphysical spin on this, but I think if you were a serial killer, if you were a murderer, you were driving through the neighborhood, you're going to see all these restaurants. You're going to see Denny's. You're going to see McDonald's. You're going to see an Arby's. And then you're going to see Waterfront Tavern. 
and that place speaks to the evil inside of you. I'm not saying the owners there are evil. I don't even think they condone serial killing or just regular killing. And I don't even think it's their fault. It could have been something that happened on that land way before the Waterfront Tavern was even built that just acts like a beacon towards the worst of humanity. So the next time you're driving through Bellingham, Washington, if you want to sit in a seat formerly occupied by a lunatic, take a seat at the Waterfront Tavern. Or or Arby's, or Arby's too, if Waterfront Taverns, they both attract the most desperate of all humans. Take a seat at the Waterfront Tavern. You may find yourself enjoying a great set of fish and chips. Or, or you may feel right at home. You feel recharged, refreshed. And if you do, well then, you're probably, (laughs) if you go there and enjoy the food, you're probably a bad person. (laughs) You're probably an evil person, you just don't know yet. And as you're driving away, you look up in the rearview mirror and your eyes are yellow. And it freeze frames. And then credits roll. (laughs) And you're still trying to drive. There's a bunch of credits in your way. You're like, ah. Alex, go ahead and call in that carpenter copter. We're going to get away from this menacing man who can't drive when there's a bunch of letters and words in front of his face. Call in that carpenter copter. We are headed out to a small house in America. (laughs) Alex is looking around. He's like, there's like 300 million of these. I was like, I know, I know. There's a lot of small houses in America. Where we're going is to a particular man's house. You're like, that doesn't help me, Alex. It's like, that doesn't help me at all. I'm like, shh, shh, just fly, Alex, just fly. This was sent to me by Fabio Nurbon. Sent me a ton of stuff. Really, really good guy. Sending me a lot of great stories. I really appreciate that. This one he sent to me, he found this one on Craigslist. He actually said, you know, I listen to your show all the time. You talk about Craigslist every once in a while. He's from He's from another country. He goes... I'm not going to dox him, but Fabio, I always get it mispronounced. I'm probably mispronouncing it again. Fabio said, you talk about Craigslist from time to time. I went to check it out. I wanted to see what Craigslist was all about. And he stumbled across a supervillain. Lightning is striking all around the carpenter copter. Alex is starting to get a little sweaty, a little bit of sweat on his forehead. And I turn to him and I go, no, this means you're on the right path. Scott Patnode's one of those really weird, complicated characters that's hard to draw a through line to form some sort of narrative. So I'm going to try my best. That is my job, after all, is to figure out a way to tell these stories. But Scott Patnode, I guess the best way to sum it up is this. Scott Patnode is a supervillain. But like all supervillains, he had a noble beginning. He wanted to do something good. He invented this machine that would be able to clean up radioactivity. So we see a young Scott Patnode working on this device in his garage, and he has these special science goggles on and a lab coat. Eat, eat, eat. He's looking at it, and he's like, this is perfect. Someday, if there's any sort of nuclear disaster, all the world has to do is turn on my device. Everything will be saved, and I, Scott Patnode, will be remembered as a hero. Eat, eat, eat. He's putting his little finishing touches on it. But then... Fukushima happened. (laughs) The cookie monster showed up. Now that's supposed to be an earthquake. Fukushima, the Japanese nuclear reactor, uh, started to leak into the ocean. And Scott Patnode realizes this is the perfect time, guys. This world may die unless my invention is used. So let me go to the garage. What? Huh? 
He's not a very good actor. He's not a very good actor. He opens a garage door and his device is gone. All of his blueprints are gone. Everything about this device is gone. You see, the governments of the world knew what Scott Patnode were up to. So they broke into his house, stole everything, and left him with nothing. Now, that narrative I just told you is more concise than like 50 of his videos. The gist is, the government sold his device. So... He now no longer has the ability to save the world. Somebody does, but he's saying that they're not using it. Like, they took it from him so he couldn't save the world, but they're not using it either, and Fukushima is slowly seeping into the ocean. We're all going to die soon. Soon being the year 2015, but somehow we're still here. So what would you do if the government stole the invention you've been working on all this time? Most people would probably get really depressed. Some, a lot of people would make a stink in the media, Scott developed superpowers. So that's that's something you can put on your to-do list. Next someone next time someone wrongs you just go Do you remember this? Do you remember this stuff um back in a couple of years ago the Middle East got electrified. Do you remember that? You remember reading about that in the news? Everyone in Syria uh, everyone in Saudi Arabia uh, that was if you do remember that. If you do remember that event that never happened you go to the doctor, or that was Scott. Scott electrified the Middle East. Also, back in 2014, he sent out a message. He told everybody to put your beds on the second floor. Do you remember that? I remember that. I actually do remember that. I was reading the New York Times one day. Headline. Man says beds on second floor. That was it. There's no article, just the headline. I was like, what? He told us, he warned us back in 2014 to put our beds on the second floor. And guess what? Guess what? That tsunami hit Turkey. That super famous tsunami that wiped out the country, but it didn't. There was a tsunami, but no one died. It was just like a gentle wave. The earthquake killed a bunch of people. But if your bed was on the second story of your house, it's probably not a good, probably not a good place to be in an earthquake on the second story. So he's developed these superpowers. You ask how? Why? He has made an alliance. This is actually pretty... This is actually pretty smart. I hadn't wouldn't have thought of this. Who you, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Who's a human's biggest enemies? Not the radiation that's seeping into the ocean due to Fukushima. It's the draconians. You see, the reptilians actually came to Earth millions and millions of years ago and star seeded our planet. Hey, we didn't evolve from monkeys, man. What are you talking about? God didn't create us out of clay. No, the draconians came down and made us out of ants. Took, took a little ants, right? And turned them into us. Which makes a lot of sense, because I was always wondering where my extra arms came from. I hide them in my live streams, but I have several arms, and I do have an addiction to sugar, so that makes so much sense. They are actually eating us. They've always been eating us, but now they're helping out Scott take his revenge. So he has lightning powers, which is pretty cool. If I had any set of powers, they would be lightning powers. So Scott, I've got to admit, I'm a little jealous of them. But I'm just a little jealous. President Obama is more than jealous. President Obama is threatened by Scott Patnode. Not only did President Obama send three different assassination teams against the man who could wield electricity, a man who is the highest form of ant on the planet, and of course, they couldn't kill him. He sent a couple of hit teams against Scott Patnode. They totally lost. Scott Patnode retaliates by punching politicians punching them. Remember that in the news? Actually, this is crazy because you do remember this in the news. 
Scott Patnode was punching people in the face, but he was doing it psychically. So you know there's that big adrenochrome conspiracy theory about all the celebrities having black eyes? <laughs> about having black eyes? Because either, depending on the theory, that's where they inject the adrenochrome, or it's a side effect of getting the adrenochrome? No, you're wrong! You're wrong! Scott Patnode is sitting in his house, and he imagines, he imagines Dolly Parton walking on the street, and he's like, he's making race car noises and then Dolly Parton's like ow my eye and she moves her hand away and it's a big black eye that's Scott Patnode he's punching these people in the eye so that's pretty dope that's a dope superpower right even if I didn't have the electricity thing if I could just psychically punch people in the eye that'd be awesome but Obama's not gonna stand for that Obama's not gonna stand for all of his Illuminati buddies getting punched in the eye so Obama killed all of Scott Patnode's favorite celebrities. Scott Patnode's at a graveyard, and he's looking at all these gravestones. Water. Rain is what it's supposed to be. Coming down from the sky. No lightning, though. Scott Patnode is not in a good mood. He's not making lightning appear. He's looking at all these gravestones. Paul Walker. Great actor. Great actor. Leonard Nimoy. Obama killed Leonard Nimoy. Oh, Obama. Tom Clancy. Hmm. Heard of him. Heard of him. I know he makes video games. He's a big video game developer. Roger Moore, one of the best James Bonds out there. No. Prince? Did you know that Obama killed Prince? I don't know if the theory is that Obama had Prince killed, but I want to imagine that Obama did <laughs> Obama did it himself. He's like the final hitman in Scarface, and he's wearing the sunglasses and he's got on the cool suit. And he has the slot-off shotgun. And Prince is in there making music. Da-da-da-da-da. Oh, yeah, this sounds so much better if it took my pants off. He's dancing all naked. And then behind him, Obama, <laughs> Obama has a slot-off shotgun. That'd be dope. But I don't know. So, Prince, good. I'm not a huge Prince fan, but I respect his contributions to music. I think he's a musical genius. I just don't like that music. I'm a Michael Jackson fan myself. Paul Walker is amazing. All these guys, Tom Clancy, world-famous novelist. And then the last gravestone, one of his favorite celebrities. This is nobody's favorite celebrity. This is not a single, if you ever asked any person, name seven of your favorite celebrities. Name 50 of your famous celebrities. Nobody names this one. Joan Rivers. I don't even think my grandma would have named Joan Rivers. (laughs) Nobody says that. What's funny, though, is that there is a conspiracy theory that outside of Scott Patno, there is a conspiracy theory that Obama killed Joan Rivers. I don't want to say that's a real conspiracy theory because it makes it sound like it's real, but that one's been going around for years because like two nights before Joan Rivers died, I think she had a botched plastic surgery operation. She said that Michelle Obama was a dude. And so Obama was like, Obama's eating dinner. He's like, what? Spits it out. He's like, that's it. Go take her out. That's an old conspiracy theory. One, that Joan Rivers was killed because she made that joke to, like, TMZ. Two, that's a long-running conspiracy theory that Michelle Obama is really a dude. Like, I was just looking at that conspiracy theory last night. I'm like, has this not gone away yet? He hasn't been president for five years now, and this is still a conspiracy theory? So, the birther thing has gone away quicker than Michelle Obama being a man conspiracy theory. So that conspiracy theory, I've seen other places. Both the Joan Rivers was killed and that Michelle Obama is a dude and the kids were adopted and all sorts of nonsense. But you, So that does exist outside of Scott Patnode. But anyway, so 
These are the people that Obama took out to really piss off Scott Patnode. Scott makes claims he's an avatar of Jesus. His dad is Zeus. So that explains the lightning powers. I don't know what his dad's relationship is with the Draconians. I don't know if... if it, I Now that I think about it, was he, is he saying that Zeus actually came down to Earth 40-some-odd years ago and impregnated his mom? Or is that he's, like, from a lineage of Zeus? Or is Zeus literally like, hey, Dad, can I borrow some money? And Zeus is like, you're a demigod. You don't need money. Here's a cloud you can float around on. Scott's like, oh, yeah. Another power that Scott Patnode has, probably the most devious one, because it truly targets the innocent, not, not Obama's henchmen, he can watch television. Everyone can do that. That's not a superpower. But he'll watch game shows and he'll think, you're wrong. Get it wrong. You don't know the answer. You don't know the answer. And as the dude is trying to figure out five things you do with buttermilk other than drink it on an episode of Family Feud and they're trying to hit the buzzer, he Scott Patnode's like, nope. Nope, you don't know the answer. No one knows the answer. There's only one thing you use buttermilk for. But the people are puzzled. Scott Patnode can actually make you lose at game shows. Family Feud, Wheel of Fortune. Those are the two he lists. But I'm sure it goes on and on. $10,000 Pyramid, uh, Tic-Tac-Toe people, Hollywood Squares. All of them. All the hits. All the great ones. Innocent people just trying to earn money. This is their only job. This is the only skill set they have, is being on Wheel of Fortune. And you're taking the money out of their hands. How are they supposed to feed their kids? With a showcase? They don't ever have bread. It's always just trips to, like, Brazil or something like that. I need to put food on the table, Scott. Please don't let me get the whammy, Scott. I beg of you. No whammies. But that's a lot of his craziness, trying to compress that in to just a few minutes, because he has 220 videos on this, I want to step back for a second and take a look at a more personal side of Scott Patnode, because this is where I think it gets interesting. People make crazy claims online all the time, but I think this is where it gets really, really interesting. We might go a little long on this one. Let me read you this comment that he left on one of his many blogs, many write-ups. I was all over Facebook and Twitter and stuff like that. And again, Fabio, thanks for sending this over. But let me read you this. We are going to go a little long here. I remember a few years back when I had a rat in the attic running around or a mouse or something and it was and it was the winter time and I was getting mad at it running around the attic so I began to wish death on it and sure enough one day it was running around the attic and I heard it and it landed on a nail and got stuck and died so therefore I got the death I wished on it just like 20 years ago <clears throat> So, so he can kill rats with his mind, okay? That thought ends, that was whole, basically one long sentence, and then we move right into this next example. Just like 20 years ago, the Kirby vacuum cleaner managers were yelling at me for not being able to sell a vacuum. So I sat there and was... <laughs> he just killed a rat, right? And now some guys are like, damn it, Scott, can't you just sell at least one vacuum? How hard is it to sell vacuums door-to-door to people who don't need vacuums and people don't want to be disturbed in the middle of the afternoon? How hard is that? Just like 20 years ago, the Kirby vacuum cleaner managers were yelling at me for not being able to sell a vacuum, so I sat there and was wishing death on them. And sure enough, later on that afternoon, they ran a yellow light and had an oncoming old lady in the oncoming lane turning that turned when they didn't stop for the yellow light and we ripped through her car and then hit a concrete telephone pole and well the airbags blew when they hit the car sorry i'm trying to keep the grammar right here 
but there is none. And we ripped through the car and then hit a concrete telephone pole, and well, the airbags blew when they hit the car, but they didn't blow again when they hit the concrete telephone pole. I never saw those managers get out of the truck at all when the ambulance came. The two people next to me went in ambulances. I was really the only person in the accident that walked away. We're we're standing on the street corner. We're looking at this car accident, and you look over at me, and I was like, dude, I don't... First off, airbags don't keep deploying (laughs) on bumper cars. It's not like every time you hit something, the airbags keep... So the airbags will only deploy once. The idea that... The people that he worked for that got in a car accident and then it, it apparently vanished. They never left the... To this day, they've never left that vehicle. They're in a fifth-dimensional Toyota Subaru. They, he never saw him again. He never, I'm assuming he didn't go back to work. But he's sitting in this car. He's, the people who are driving the car, he wishes that they die. It's not a smart maneuver. Then he mentions there's two other people in the back seat with him. So... He's basically turning the entire car into an unguided missile. Who knows what's going to happen, he says, but I never saw the people who were in the front seat, never saw them again. They ceased to exist. I tried to find the birth certificates next to Obama's, none of them existed. Actually, now that we do have to go along in this episode, because I missed the whole thing, he's trying to kill everyone on the planet. He's not, it's not only enough that he's going after Obama for killing Joan Rivers, He actually wants to kill all human life on the planet. I don't know how I spaced on that. He wants to kill all of us. You can't be an ally to Scott. He's trying to warn us that he's going to murder us. So the fact that he would turn the vehicle into this and not care about anyone in it, even the two people who weren't yelling at him, he doesn't care. He wants everyone to die because this invention was stolen. He's not just punching. You might be like, oh yeah, dude, I hate the rich and the powerful. I wish I could psychically punch him in the eye. But then he turns on you and his eyes are glowing red and he electrocutes you. He wants to eliminate all humans on the planet. That's his goal. So he went from being an inventor to wanting revenge so bad that he's willing to destroy the human race. He envisions a future where there's nothing but him, the Draconians, and a Joan Rivers Rivers clone next to him to tell him jokes. I don't even know what Joan Rivers did. But uh, but anyway, she'll do that for the rest of time. But let's let's step back here because I do want to talk about a little bit about him personally. We have these grandiose visions, but then we find out he's a Kirby vacuum salesman. He makes a lot of odd decisions in his YouTube videos. Some videos he's talking to the camera. Some videos it's slideshows, which is a fair format, but each slide is like ten different photos from like a photo from his Facebook, a photo from his MySpace, if he has one. But you know what I mean? Just for an example, a photo from this, that, and the other thing. There are these big mosaics, photos he's taken of UFOs and uh, chemtrails and things like that. It's very, very bizarre. He goes out of his way to lie about his location, which is fine. Again, you're on the internet, you're lying about your location. But then in one, it just I just happened to be watching this one YouTube video. He showed a screenshot of what appeared to be his cell phone that had his contact list on it. So I, immediately curious, I found the company whose number is listed. That I found his address. I found his address in, in a matter of like 20 minutes. And I'm thinking, he's put, I'm not going to reveal it obviously, but he's put out 220 videos. He's trying to say he lives in the Southwest because he was afraid that ISIS was in Mexico. So he was trying to tell Obama. Even some of the parts don't make sense, but 
he said that he lived in this specific Southwest state, and then he said he was going to go to Mexico, and then Obama moved ISIS to Mexico. And he said he tricked everyone, but then I found out he doesn't live anywhere in that region at all. He lives much... I, I'm not going to reveal his address, but I thought that was weird. I thought that was really weird. And then I was able to actually match up photos of that area to photos he was taking. So it's interesting to see someone who goes out of their way to create fake profiles showing they live in one location and then goof up so so badly and so consistently that you can read street signs when he's taking photos going, I took this photo outside of my house of a UFO, and it's a clear shot of a street sign that's only in that neighborhood. Very, very weird thing. You're like, Jason, that's the weird thing? The guy says that he's going to destroy all humanity and we're evolved romance. It is weird because it's a bit of a sidestep. We cover people who have wacky beliefs all the time on this show. But when we start to look into the real life of them, it becomes more fascinating, I think, and it actually becomes more real. He's also trying to give away a boat trailer. He has a video entitled, Tell, tell Me If This Isn't The Deal Of A Century. Here's a video. Again, this is so, so if you happen to be one of Obama's agents, but you needed a new boat trailer, you just say, hey, I want your boat trailer, and you could walk up to this dude's house. Here's this YouTube video. Free burnt bent trailer frame okay so right there it's deal free burnt bent trailer frame back to original condition so i don't know is i'll go there i'm like what you promised me burnt this is original condition free burnt bent trailer frame back to original condition along with <laughs> deal of a century guys not only do you get a burnt bent boat trailer <laughs> you also get one fourth of a boat you get one-fourth of a boat hole. It's free, though. If you've ever wanted 25% of a boat, this is the YouTube video you want to watch. He actually has a couple boats in his backyard. That was enough. I was like, dude, you keep showing me these boats. At a certain point, I was like, I, I just need to know like how much I can find out about this guy. I can look at these boats, and then I'm looking at satellite footage of a bunch of boats in a backyard. I'm trying to do you a favor by saying this. I'm not trying to, like, dox you. I'm saying, if you want to hide your identity, don't show your backyard constantly. Don't take photos in your neighborhood at all. If you want to keep your location secret, you're doing it wrong. So, Scott, if you're listening to this, you know, there don't don't be putting your stuff out there. It's funny because I kind of feel bad for Scott. I think the real reason why I get a little bit of tug of the heartstrings on Scott, I actually I feel like I've gone really easy on him compared to. I've covered a lot of other people because in the end, he's just giving people black eyes and electrifying the Middle East and telling people to move their beds. But let's wrap it up like this. This is where I was kind of like, aww. Not only did his invention get stolen, he also says that he wrote a comic book, which, oh man, I'd love to get my hands on. <laughs> I wouldn't love to steal it. I'd love to read it. But he said a woman stole his comic book. He wrote this comic book out and he stole it. He has some copies though. He really should sell it. He has some copies, and they did have drawings from his comic book. It looks more like a story, like a children's storybook. It's a lot of, like, full-page illustrations, at least the ones that I saw. They're drawn in a very Chris Chan-esque way. You can tell it's an adult drawing in a very childlike style. But the comic book actually predicted a lot of stuff. He wrote it a long time ago, and this was before he knew his journey. It said that he predicted that he was the son of Zeus. He didn't know he was the son of Zeus until he created this comic book. It predicted that. It also predicted that he would own a motorcycle someday. And now, all of us who have ever owned a motor vehicle, right? It was because of the comic book we wrote. It's like, oh man, 
I, I never drew a comic book. That's why I walk everywhere. That's why I don't have a car. The comic book predicted he would own a motorcycle someday. And, and you don't just get a motorcycle. You just can't buy one of those things. It has to be gifted to you from the gods. And your dad's Zeus, so you're definitely going to get one. But as I'm looking through a couple of pages of this comic book, he posted it. I, it might have been in a YouTube video I was watching. Everything started to blur together at this point. In the comic book, that's the story of him. One of the pages, it shows a little Scott Patnode. It shows Scott is a little boy, or his self-insert. It's a little boy, a little Scott-shaped boy, laying in bed at night. He's holding a little teddy bear, a little moon coming in through the window. And he's dreaming of being a motocross star. No, not just a motocross star. He's dreaming of being like an evil Knievel. Has a little outfit on. I think he had a little cape. Little boy has a smile on his face, dreaming of motorcycle adventures. I saw that panel and I thought, poor Scott. Poor Scott. He probably doesn't need my pity. He probably doesn't want it. And it's not necessarily pity. But in that panel, I saw the alternate Scott. He had dreams. He had dreams. Maybe they're unrealistic dreams. I don't know how hard it is to become Evil Knievel. I don't know if it's an easy industry to get into or if it's very hard considering there's not, you know, circus shows going on all the time anymore. I don't know. But in that one panel, I saw a story of a boy who wanted an exciting life. But somewhere between that little boy and Scott of today, something changed. And I'm not talking about his invention got stolen. I don't even know if the invention existed, but maybe maybe he was about to go <laughs> go for his first evil Knievel ride. He just needed to drop this invention off at the patent office. Obama broke into his house and took it. I think obviously that's something else. Scott is obviously struggling with something. And I think this is where we see that split in the timeline. We've covered a lot of people on this show, and they're actually really well put together people who have bizarre beliefs, really bizarre theories. Um, the guy who believes he has the hat that can cure autism, the vampire lord Kevin, even Hans. I don't think Hans has any sort of mental issues. I think he just has a bizarre way of looking at the world. I think when we look at people like Scott, I'm not going to diagnose him over the podcast, but he's definitely struggling with something. And I think the fact that he goes through such lengths to hide his location and at the same time reveals it at every possible chance shows that. And I think the fact that he wants to wish violence on the world over and over and over again shows that. Hans doesn't want to blow up a continent. But I feel like at some point, Scott had these dreams of an exciting and bold life, and then something changed, whether that was a mental thing, whether that was a situational thing, someone broke his heart, someone turned their back on him. Who knows? But Scott, if you are listening to this, and really to everyone who's listening to this, we've had some good fun this episode. I'm not making fun of you as a person. You can have those childlike dreams again. I guarantee it. Life is long, and it can be hard. But you can't stop working towards what you truly want. If you want to be a motocross rider, jumping through flaming hoops, do it. You may suck at it. You may only do it a single time, but do it. Because even if you do that and fail, even if you take that one childlike dream of yours that you look back on and go, I was dumb for believing that, even if you try it just once, even if you fail, that act of trying 
has more impact on your soul than a billion lightning bolts flying through the universe. Scott and all of you, don't let hate and revenge cloud your true dreams. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. <laughs>